Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, the writer of Kadoja and Three Protectors, and a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milisanda for the Accidental Aliens. You are that. You are Yay. that. He is you and you is he. Slim with the tilted brim. What's your motherfucking name? <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Uh, what, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Um, I am drinking Park Hopper, oh. which is a clever little name, um, you know, because it is a hazy IPA. So it's hoppy, it's a hopper, and it is Smog City Brewing plus Alvarado Street. It is 6.8 ABV, and it is smells pretty, pretty IPA. Okay. And it is very hoppy, much like Schmack. like the name suggests. Schmack. Those hops are smacking you right in the face. It feels like there should be a rabbit or something on it with how much hops is going on in there. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's all right. So I'm gonna go ahead and say this is a standard IPA. It doesn't. Okay. I, I'm not getting the haze that I normally like out of my hazies. Um, mm-hmm. So, but we'll see how that goes as this episode keeps going on. Okay. Okay. Well, for me, I hey, I was in. I wanted to go to the beer store. I'm getting low again because my fridge has like, I don't know, two IPAs and a couple stouts in it. And it's not quite, I'm not, I'm not quite feeling stouts at the moment, but I am feeling Der Oktoberfest. So I bought myself a six pack of Oktoberfest. It is, uh, it's actually Varsteiner's Oktoberfest. And I'm a huge fan. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, is it Varsteiner? I don't know. Warsteiner. Yeah. But, but W's or V's in German. You pronounce W's or V's. Yeah, Warsteiner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, I don't know. Warsteiner, Warsteiner. Hey, people who speak fluent German, let me know. Um, so anyway, this, <laughs> this is really good. It's very close to their normal beer. It's a little more uh, powerful. It's 5.9. But I'm going to do that, and then I'm just going to ease on into a, a Coke Zero, because I had a couple beers last night. Hey, can I talk about uh, a bad beer I had? Yes. Yeah, I had a bad beer last night. So I went to see, as you can see by my shirt, Scott, I went to see the Cavalera Brothers. They are the two brothers who helped found the thrash metal legend, Sepultura. And they are now touring, playing Sepultura songs, because Sepultura is a bunch of unrelated musicians that have been in the band, and no original members in Sepultura remain, but Sepultura still tours under the name Sepultura. The whole thing is strange, right? Yeah. So You mentioned this a couple episodes back. I yes. thought I did. I thought I did. Um. So I went to see them last night, and I saw them at the Glass House in Pomona. And one of the very cool things, a couple very cool things about the Glass House in Pomona. Number one, parking's two bucks if you don't get free street parking. Oh, right on. So free street parking if you can find it, and there's a whole lot of it. Or you could just pay two bucks to park in the lot right next to it. Cool thing number two, in and out, anytime you want. Like, you can go in and out of the place, you know, so... That is amazing because you can have a band finish and it's hot and gross in there because there's a bunch of people thrashing around. And then you just walk outside and you air out a little bit. So I did that right before uh, the Cavalera brothers took the stage. And I'm, I, I just wanted to get some air. And then I was like, I'd already paid for one beer in there. It was 15 bucks. 15 oh, bucks for a Sierra Pale. Now that included, get you. that included tip. But the great thing is they don't have to get you, Scott, because you can walk out and just go to a nearby bar, which is what I did. Oh, so right on. <laughs> I, wa- I just I walked a block away and I was like, that looks like a dive bar. I'm going to go in. Maybe I can smash a beer real quick before I go in. So I go in. Yeah, it's right there. I end up I end up having a pretty 
nice conversation with a complete stranger who was also a metalhead. He ended up going back with me into the venue and we hung out for like 10 minutes before uh, he disappeared into the pit forever. So I don't know what <laughs> what became of him. But anyway, so yeah, yes, no. So I'm there and I see that they have uh, Delirium Tremens on the menu for nine bucks. And I'm like, that's great. It's 16, you know, 16 ounces for nine bucks. I mean, you know, it's a bar price, but that ain't a bad bar price, you know, for a, for a hard hitter like that. So then the bartender says, sorry, I don't have that. And I see above it says delirium red. And I'm like, I'm in the mood for reds. This sounds amazing. I get the delirium red and she pours it in the glass. Okay. It, it's, it's not red like a red. It's red like lipstick. And I'm oh. like, I'm like, that is incredibly fucking red. Scott, do you want to take one guess on why it's that red? Was it a wine? It was cherry. It was delirium oh, tremens no. with a hard ass cherry flavor to it. It was gross. But I I paid nine bucks for it. <laughs> you know, like, so it's getting drunken. So that's what I did. I smashed it. I actually tried to drink it so fast, but then I started to feel bad. I'm like, Ugh, I don't, I don't want to get sick off of this because if I get sick off this, I'm going to barf cherry, <laughs> you know? So anyway, I, I was fine. It ended up having a pretty decent buzz, but boy, am I never having that beer again. So uh, anyway, that, yeah, yeah. So, hey, if you like, if you like a beer that just tastes like cherry syrup, then get Delirium Red. Um, if you're a normal human being, then don't. That's my <laughs> yeah, either then get any other beer i guarantee somebody's gonna give me a text and be like dude i love cherries as a flavor hey i mean cool cool by you you know like then then yeah. this then have i got a beer for you so go out <laughs> if you like cherries go out and buy this thing and uh, and just live live your best life okay but yeah let's that's get, a hard pass for me yeah yeah so let's get to our uh, our first thing man what was the first thing that you did this week um let me see i'm, tr- I'm trying to pick which one i want to I want to put on there. I guess I guess I'll do this one. Um, I went on Gary Hodge's YouTube show, um, the Home Stretch. Mm-hmm. So that is his live live show that he does on Saturdays. And you know, I've been going back and listening to previous episodes of of that show. It got rebranded. It used to be like um, Keep Working Squatch or Always Working Squatch, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he rebranded it uh, to the Home Stretch. And uh, so I was listening to those old episodes and he had talked about getting us on, both of us. And, uh, you know, he had mentioned to us both, you know, if we wanted to get on like as a duo or individually. Mm -hmm. And so we both opted for the individual just to, you know, spread it around like you and I are paired up so much. Might as well give give some time for each of us to shine individually and uh, give more content for Gary. So, yeah. Um, during the day when I'm working on my pages, I throw that on the TV. I guess I have my YouTube, you know, hooked up to the TV there. And so it was cool just listening to the show and, and, you know, hearing what they normally talk about on that show. And so I hit up Gary and I was like, Hey man, you still want to have us on? And like, I'm free, you know, this Saturday. And so I just went on last Saturday and it was really fun. Yeah. It was a really great time. Actually. Uh, the time flew by. I was technically on for probably about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 but it really flew by. Like, it just mm-hmm. went by with the quickness. So um, it was very cool. Um, a lot of it was talking about the podcast and the books that I do and uh, the the Slack method. So, oh, and my time at wrestling, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of stuff there that we covered. Gary was really interested in the wrestling side of my life and how that all came to be and, uh, you know, everything revolving around that. 
And then we got into the podcast and, uh, you know, talked about the Slack method and a lot of positive reviews from the chats, like people are artists in there wanting to try it out. So that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it was nice to get some instant feedback and, you know, a lot of people said it was a really interesting sounding method and definitely worth uh, wanting to try. So yeah, good times. Nice dude. That's very cool. That means that I have a, something that I have to go back to and check out. So that's that's good to know that the next time I need to throw on uh, the the YouTubes, I can uh, I can have a really interesting thing to watch and listen to. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, for me, I'm sort of merging my two things. Like this is like a mega thing, right? It's like a megazord of a, of a thing. Animals is done at least for now. So I finished up the lettering on animals. I finished the big chunk amounts of editing that went with it. I feel really good about it. It's 31 pages. So in the meantime, so I get, I get the 31 pages and I'm thinking, this is one of those, this is one of those things that like, I can't even explain. It's just how I think. I'm like, if this is only a two comic series, I don't want them to be only 31 pages. I'd like it to be a little more. So I started throwing or kicking around this idea of a backup story. What backup story can I do? And I got this like mild idea for a backup story. I call up Mike Perkins. I'm like, hey man, what do you think about this idea for a backup story? I give it to him. He's like, cool idea. Don't put it in animals because it's not in the animals world. It's just a horror story. And I'm like, okay, fair enough, right? Like if you're going to make an animals comic, you make the backup story an animals backup story. And then I was like, hey, maybe I can find an interesting artist to do it. So I think of another pretty decent idea for the backup story that's actually centered in the animals universe. In the meantime, I reach out to an artist that uh, Scott knows who it is. I'm not going to name him, but he's done a couple Kadoja covers already. And I ask him, hey, man, are you interested in doing either A, an animals cover uh, for this horror property that I'm writing, or B, a six-page backup story interiors? Oh, right on, man. Awesome. Hell yeah. He then gets to back to me and says yes to both. I'm very interested in both. Hit me up with your ideas. And right around then, I realized that my idea is not going to work. So I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't have an idea. So this was on, I guess, last Sunday. And so now where I am is I have agreement on a six page story that I still haven't thought of. And uh, I'm getting closer. I'm, and, and there's another thing I'm going to bring up this week that involves like big thinking. And I talk about this a lot on the writing level. Like so much of this is the big thinking you need to do. I have a cool idea, but I've been kicking around, you know, I've been kicking around a bunch of ideas as backup stories. It's like, what do you want to be a backup story? You know, you don't, and certain things get eliminated. Like, oh, I could do this thing that's going to be in the second book, but it's like, but that's going to be in the second book. So I'm covering the same ground. Why the hell would I do that? So I'm, I'm circling around an idea that I think is a pretty cool backup story to just do as much for atmosphere as it is for anything and just add a little bit of something, you know, hey, maybe I don't need to make a groundbreaking six issue, six page story. I can just have something really cool that plays in the world and is the type of horror that Animals is. So anyway, so that's kind of where I am. I still need to write it, but it's going to be a part of my big thinking over these next few days. I've had stuff going on, you know, like just meetings here and, you know, appointments there and, you know, stuff like that. So it hasn't been like a nice wide open brain space. And I also haven't tried too hard because some thought sometimes when you do big thinking, sometimes when I do big thinking, all I need to do is throw on like a death metal record or a jazz record. And just expand my brain in my chair. You know, I'm just like thinking to music. And then sometimes that happens. Well, I tried that with this. 
it did not work. But there's another way to do it, which is you work your way through it. You just write down a bunch of things. You write down a bunch of shit ideas. And soon enough, you're like, yep, that's the one. All I need to do is sit here and force out bad ideas until I got the idea I like. You know, So like an active brainstorm session. So those are two ways that work the most for me. And I am about to try the second way and see how it goes. Yeah, that's interesting how that happens. So, you know, there are times when you creatives are out there, sometimes you'll be working on something and it's just not happening. Now, there are instances where you have to switch it up, do something completely different. If you're an artist, you have some options. Um, If you're a writer, it's just maybe today's not the day but maybe you sit there and you brainstorm and like you said you're for you it's just like okay what triggers it for you music listening to something Mm -hmm. and just kind of like zoning out and just trying to figure it out um and the other way is just like you said you have to power through now there are days where the line isn't necessarily flowing all that easy for me and i can choose to move on and do something else maybe i do some flatting maybe i do some thumbnailing uh lettering anything else but there are days where i do feel it's beneficial to try to power through and there are days when it absolutely works you know like it could be to the point though here's here's an interesting um situation that can happen as an artist however those days when you are trying to power through and you know you're throwing pen to paper lines down on paper and you're like this is shit this is not working out and just keep working at it and then leave it alone for a few days like just don't look at it for a couple of days and i guarantee you you're going to come back to that thing feeling a little bit better i mean i've done the same the very same thing i've you know i've worked on something and i've hated it and i just kept powering powering through and you know after a few hours i was like this is still shit and i don't like it but you know what there's something here I'm just going to go leave it. I'm going to work on something else. And I come back a couple of days later. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. This looks fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with this one. Exactly. So it could just be you in the moment. Yep. Or, you know, it, it could be shit. But, you you know, you have to power through to see which one it is. Yeah. So, and yep. in this case for you, you found the, you got through all the shit to find the one that you actually wanted to work on. Yeah. Well, we're almost there. I, I have an idea of the one I have to work on, but I think I'm now at this final, like, I got to scribble out some things and just pick the one that works the best and go from there. Because again, you know, to, to over to over talk about this a little bit, there are plenty of ideas I could do that would be like, cool. But that doesn't mean it fits the story. And I, you know, we this is our 99th episode, man. And I'm, I'm not sure I've talked about this on any of the episodes. But maybe. It's the idea of the the beware the because it's cool effect. There are plenty of things in a story that are cool. Now, I know a couple episodes ago we talked about the whole like, does it kick ass? Yes, do it. No, don't do it. But that does need to be couched a little bit because what you don't want to do is write a, like a story is not a sequence of cool things that you stitch together. A story is something that organically happens. And I'm going to call out a movie that most people, you know, everybody, it's become a bit of a joke at my table when I talk about it and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Or they'll mention it before I do, which is the second Pacific Rim movie. Mm-hmm. The second Pacific Rim movie is basically four cool things 
four cool ideas in terms of like action sequences stitched together with a whole bunch of stuff that nobody cares about or a whole bunch of like curious plot twists and uncharacteristic turns that simply do nothing but set up the cool thing. And it's like, that's not a story. You can't make a story by having four peaks of action and then trying to stitch a bunch of things together that serve those four peaks. It's got to be much more than that. And that's the thing I'm trying to avoid now. Cause I think of, I thought of a few cool things. I'm like, ah, wait a minute. That's, t- that's going to send the story in a separate direction. I can't do that. So anyway, we'll see where it ends up. And hopefully when we record next week, I will be done with it. And I'll be like, yeah, all I had to do was whatever this thing I'm about to do is. <laughs> so yeah, we, right we'll on. See. We will see. So yeah. How about uh, you? Man? One, oh, go ahead. Uh, one thing I would be, just uh, prepared for or aware of I guess the artist that would be working on the six page story has a really cool fucking style yeah now the concern is well people like that six page story more than they like the main story mm-hmm. so but it's all dependent on what type of story it is yeah. you know what I mean like so yeah. if it's based in the same world like will they like this the main story artist better or will they like this backup story artist better so yeah. you you got to make sure that it doesn't detract from your main story too much and then people are just looking for that other guy so yeah yeah, just just something to be aware of and um you know because that guy's badass yeah so He, he is he is but i i don't want that to make me afraid of it either you know, True. like if I mean, mm-hmm. if if I if I hired Bill Sinkevich to do a six page backup story, it would be awesome, too. And it might outshine the original story. But so, <laughs> you know, like they're both in <laughs> yeah. the comic, you know, like that's yeah, a, that's true. a that's yeah, a good yeah. problem to have if you have two cool stories and hopefully people like the main story enough. They might like the, you know, second story more. And if they like the second story more, hey, maybe that gives me leverage to get another story by him in the second issue. You know, so true. Yeah. So again, I keep, you know, keep I, them both I'm, going. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not. It. I'm not going to be. Af- I, I never. I don't want to be afraid of something being too cool. <laughs> right. If it's yeah. too cool, then that's and, a good and problem to have. Absolutely, and it'll expand your world by having two stories going at once. So exactly, the animals' world will be broader by those two stories going on in both mm-hmm. issues. So yeah, like you said, good problem yeah, to have. Word up. So what is your second thing? What was your second thing? Uh, my second thing is another page of Second Shift is done. And that's going to be right on time because we're going into Drawtober. So by the release of this, we're already in October. Um, but I need to work. As of today, it's the 29th. So I need to work on the thumbnails for the whole month. Because, you know, you got to do the prompt list and then you do the thumbnails and all of that stuff. Um, I have the first five oh see i'm i'm hopping around too much there so back to the back to the first thing so another page of second shift 13 is done so as we've talked about on previous episodes i did the double page spread and that was 22 hours 22 to 3 out to 22 to 23 hours worth of work for two pages so that's actually not too shabby that's about 11 to an 11 and a half hours per page um the second page i did not the two page two page count the two page as one page in this instance so the next page i had done it was 14 hours for a single page but there was so much more going on in that second page um and it wasn't completely worked out so the benefit of that double page splash that i had done i worked a lot of the problems out in the thumbnailing stage so when i went to pencils it was a short ride to inks it was just like you know what, I'm just going to snag these pencils and, um, you know, t- 
turn the colors black and guess what they're the inks now because it was it was just so much easier to do i didn't need to redraw it i had nailed it on the first try so there was no need i added some line weight and bit bam boom you know it, it was done um so but the second page it was a lot of work that needed to be worked out before i got to the inking stage so 14 hours really long well worth it um, but it was also i think 14 panels on that page as well yeah so it was like an hour a panel basically mm -hmm. um this third page that i had finished six hours so kicked ass on it super fast way less panels it was i think a total of four panels and um i just flew through it i was working on the impact of that panel and i really wanted the people to feel the weight of what was going on in it and the impact of what was going on in it. So, you know, when that finally does come out, I hope people do feel it and uh, it works for them because it definitely worked for me. Yeah. 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 I, I wish I, I can't remember the track listing, right? But it's kind of reminding me of, I think it was again, don't shoot me Iron Maiden fans, but on Iron Maiden's album, Power Slave, they go on a run where it's like six minute song, 13 minute song, eight minute song. And you're like, whoa, whoa, Iron Maiden, just simmer down. <laughs> you know, like, like, why are you following up a 13-minute song with an eight-minute song, you know? But because they're Iron Maiden, that's why. And, and again, I might have the track order wrong, but I've seen that before, too, where it's just like, you're just, you're just stacking ambitious pages, and that's kind of fun. And that was something yeah. I commented on when I saw it in person a few weeks ago. It was like, damn, man, you're not wasting time. You're not giving it a breather. It's like, nope, here's an even more elaborate page. And it's a one. It's not even a spread. The spread was mm -hmm. elaborate, but the one that follows is the one that really caught my eye where it's like, look at all those panels, man. You know, so, yeah, very, very cool. And, uh, hey, it's it's well worth it. You know, you it's it's more of like the Gary Hodges. I think, what's he do, a panel a day? Panel a day, right? Uh, I do panel a day. He does a you, page a week. He does a page a week. You do a panel a day. So, in your case, you, you know, you were fine, <laughs> right? Because yeah. you're holding to your shit. It just took you, you know, 17 days to do two pages or 17 days to do a page or whatever it is. Well, well the crazy part, I was doing multiple panels per day. So it was still taking me quite some time. And honestly, I felt like I I felt like I finished them in decent time for the amount of stuff that was going on. So I blew past my standard of one panel a day. And the thing with it though, and I had I had mentioned this previously, the first three pages were such a slog that I had to stop working on them because I was not hitting my panel a day. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, dude, I've been working on these three pages for um, maybe a week or two, and I barely have one one panel that you would consider to be done. And it was like, if you amalgamed all the figures that I had finished, maybe that's one panel. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? There yeah. wasn't there wasn't one that was just full on done. And that was when I needed to switch it up. That's when I used, started using the Slack method. I'm like, fuck this. I'm hopping to something I feel like doing, and that's when I started working on that fight scene. Yeah. And that just kick-started everything started everything started flowing it was like three four panels a day and i was like man if i if i would have started on this sooner i'd be a lot further along but hey sometimes you just gotta take that extra time to figure it out and yeah and once you get there you get there and things get moving you do you do so i actually i'm, I'm gonna say i'm gonna do two more things this episode and this next one is gonna be yet another big thinking thing and it's about three protectors volume two so my my uh, production schedule over the next, you know, I don't know, six, eight months, something like that, is 
you know, Kadoja volume two is being done or Kadoja number two is being written. I'm being done. The art is being done. I'm, I already wrote it. Next up is while well, so that while that's happening, now that I'm done with Animals One, I'm waiting for Animals One to come back from Mike with edits, and and of course write this backup story. After that, I'm writing issue two because I have an artist waiting for me to do it in December. I've already committed to getting it started in December, and to know me is to know I I work my best when it's just like Keith, you must do this by December first. I pick a date that I must work to, just easier for me to do my goal setting. So after that. It's probably going to be Kadoja number three. And then after that, it's going to be Three Protectors volume two. So right. that's that's my next, you know, nine, ten months of writing, something like that on the comic front. So I'm now doing the big thinking for Three Protectors volume two. And uh, without getting too much into it, I have a very good idea what that story is going to be. I was sticking on. I was well, here's what I was sticking on. A creative way to present the information I want to present present in roughly the first 12 to 20 pages. Like, I want something to happen. It's going to happen. And and I, I was torn between the writer idea of scene and summary. Do I want to summarize the things that happen? Or do I want to do a scene-level thing of the things that happening? Just to give a quick review of scene versus summary... Picture the story as the accelerator on a car. If you are in summary, then you are presenting information in a, at a speed far above real time. If you are presenting an information in scene, you are presenting that information in real time. You have taken your foot off the accelerator to slow way down so that we can go at real time through this part of the story. You accelerate again when it's time for summary. So... I have a a fair amount of summary I want to do, but the way that I'm choosing to deal with that is basically to have interstitial moments in time where bits come to the fore and I can just quick go through it like that and present information um, very quickly over a period of time, but do it by piecing together a whole bunch of very small scenes into a long summary. So... I like that. I think it works best for the story. And again, it I, I have a very good idea what the body of Three Protectors Volume 2 is going to be. And uh, hey, all I have to do is write it about six months from now after I write Animals Number 2 and Kadoja Number 3. <laughs> it, it's, it's always great when you have all these projects lined up. And it's the waiting to get to the next one that's always frustrating. Yeah. And, and it's not that you're any less excited about the project that you're working on. It's just... You love them all. They're all your babies. You want to you want to see them all live and grow, and you can't do that until you write it, you know. Yeah. Or in, I, in my case, I can't do it until I draw it. So, um, yeah, it's great that you have all that stuff lined up. It sounds like you have uh, your skeleton laid out or an idea of what you mm-hmm. want to do laid out, and so that's great. Um, my is that? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that the end of your? That was the end of the second thing. Okay. Yeah, that all sounds great. Um, it reminds me of my schedule too, by the way. So I started on second shift 13. Now I'm going to be working on Wanderers 4. And then after I finish Wanderers 4, back to second shift 13 and mm-hmm. then to the new project in the new year before I even finish Wanderers 4. I caught up on Wanderers yesterday. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. How I, is it? I, I love it. I just wanted oh, to say good, that. Oh, good, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I think... So what what I see when I read that is a bunch of fresh ideas that I have not seen in other places. 
Now, you have an advantage over me in that I do not, I am not familiar with any of the source material that you use as comparisons for your comic. So nothing in your pitch when you talk about Wanders and Melisande is something that I am familiar with. So it all seems really fresh to me. But yeah, I just thought it was fresh, inventive, very cool world. So, uh, so yeah, let me just, you know, I just wanted to take like 45 seconds to plug that and say I, I thoroughly enjoyed Wanderers 1 through 3. And uh, yeah, because I, I, I think I had to reread one and then I had buried or no, I, I had two is what it was. I had one of your oh, okay. variants of two. And then with this Kickstarter, I realized I don't have one. So I ordered one. You shipped that to me with my number three. And boom, here I am. So yeah, man, I knocked them all out. Um, yeah, man, I'm a fan of the comic. So again, to oh, those awesome, of you man. out there Thank that you. might be on the fence, don't be. Like, grab it. It's really good. Oh, thanks, thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And and you know, like I refer it to you know Avatar: The Last Airbender meets He Man. You know, and and it's it's not. There's nothing pulled from Avatar or He Man per se that mm-hmm. makes it like that. But it's the feel of it. I would say I would when I bring that up, it's just the yeah. vibe. And so, you know, the ideas that are in there are one of my own, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And I'm glad you read them. And I know there's a bunch of second shift issues that you need to get as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I look forward to getting those for your for either either the next time I'm there or the next time you do a Kickstarter. I'll just catch up on all of them. You yeah, know? man, absolutely. Yeah. Just let me know which ones you need and I'll, I'll definitely yeah. get them, get them over to you. You got it. Um, So. Uh, you were talking about your work schedule, which was probably going to lead into your third thing. Oh, yeah. No, I was just saying your work schedule is very reminiscent reminiscent of mine, where it's mm-hmm. just like, we got this shit stacked up. We have basically our outline for the next year on shit we need to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's exciting, exciting to get to those projects and just to finish projects. So mm-hmm. um, I'm looking forward to seeing all the stuff you come out with. And I'm looking forward to working on the stuff that I'm, I'm coming out with. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that... Wanderers 1, 2, 3, that leads into Wanderers 4. So, yeah, I'm starting the process of doing the thumbnails for that. So if you guys aren't familiar, every year I do Drawtober, which is, uh, you know, it is adjacent to Inktober. So the guy that created Inktober, uh, in my opinion, he's a dick. I read some articles. He basically was suing artists if they had Inktober on their books. If they printed their books out, um, they follow this guy's prompts. So this guy released prompts in for the month of October. And, uh, you know, people follow along and you interpret those prompts in the way that you want to. And so people, a lot of times will print those things out, make comic books or ash cans out of them or something, and they sell them at shows. Um, and they've used the logo Inktober on them. And he has actually sued people for doing so. And, um, I think since then he's pulled it back, but Hey, that's a dick enough move for me to not like you. So, mm-hmm. um, I am not doing that. I do my own thing. I just call it, it's called Drawtober. I create my own prompts and I use those prompts to make a comic book. So this year I'm going to be wanders, be doing wanders and Melisande. The first two years I've done it, um, I did second shift 11 and 12. So, you know, that was a year 2020 and year 2021. So mm-hmm. year 2022, it'd actually be Wanders Melisande number four. It won't be the whole story. It'll be about roughly eight pages. And uh, so I'm in the process of thumbnailing them. And I have the first five pages laid out. And I got to say, they're super laid out. Like, okay. Th- it's one of those things where I, I've worked so tightly in my thumbnails that it's 
more than likely going straight to the uh, the inking phase. So, which helps a lot. You know, this is an event I like to do. I'm not too... I don't know. I don't police it too hard. Like my only thing is to make sure you have the image out on the day that you're going to have it out. You know, mm -hmm. every day you have to put a new image out. So in the month of October, there'll be 31 new images. So I like to work ahead sometimes because, hey, life is busy. Sometimes you have to get shit done that isn't in the comics world. You know, we all have lives outside of comic books. So you got to make time for what you got to make time for. So some days I'll double up. If I can triple up, I will. So, um, you know, I got the first five pages laid out. I'm pretty excited about it. But day six, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. So yeah. this is going to be interesting. I'm going to be needing some time to figure the rest of this story out so i'm glad that the first five are so tight that it's just going to be basically inking and um it's moving along man and uh, i'm looking forward to it and my hope is i finish before october is over mm -hmm. i like i hope i can work so far ahead that i can get back on second shift well before the month of october is over so we'll see how that goes nice nice and in a weird way what you just said plays into my third and final thing Scott, I know the day that I am going to be finished with my novel. It is October 24th. Oh, right on. And, and here is why I know this. So I'm going through this final edit right now. And I, I am basically committing myself to do a final edit. I mean, I'll share my process a little bit. I'm going to doing a final thorough edit six pages a day. That is the thing I'm doing. Every single day, I wake up earlier than I need to, and I, and I make sure I do as much of these six pages as possible. Ideally, I do them all, because if I do them all, then I don't have to stress about doing them through the day. I've, been, I've had a real good run of that. So just as a, as a frame of reference, it's 5.30 in the morning is when I'm waking up. I usually like to wake up at 6.15, 6.30, but this is about me achieve, you know, shooting for a dream here. So I'm waking up uh, an hour earlier, roughly, knocking back my coffee doing all that stuff and so at my current pace i am going to be done with that edit of the novel around friday whatever it is october 21st something like that but i don't want to be done yet i have a final move that i want to do which is i i'm basically gonna for lack of a better way to put it, i'm gonna read the whole thing aloud i'm actually gonna use the microsoft word feature called read aloud for those of you that don't know that you know we talk about writing a lot everybody in writing tells you read your shit out loud read it out loud well guess what microsoft word will do that for you and i'm sure other programs will do it for you too so all you have to do is click on your word document and click on the button read aloud and it's going to start reading it it's a crappy robot voice but you know what it's not that crappy like it intonates pretty decently and it it gives you an idea so my final move is going to be sitting somewhere and i'm going to read it out loud i'm going to have microsoft read it to me and whenever i don't like something i'm going to stop i'm going to fix it and then i'm going to hit start again so that's going to take a pretty long time. By my count, it's probably going to take 10 to 12 hours to just go through that. So I talked to my wife yesterday and I said, hey, I have this idea, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? What do you think about me doing a, a, a basically a, a one night writer's retreat in October? And she's like, yeah, go for it. So I'm going to go to my favorite writing place. I'm going to go to Lake Arrowhead and I'm going to bring everything I need and I am going to finish this book and um, with me 
I'm going to bring the bottle of scotch that I promised that I would open and enjoy once this draft is done. But I'm not done because I am meeting with my mentor to go over the query letter that I'm going to send to agents between now and then. And I am looking and researching agents now and then. Today was the first day I actually got a a few agents that I'm like, nope, that's going to be people at the top of my list. So here we are on October 24th. I'm going to be finished with the novel and I'm going to drive back down that hill from Lake Arrowhead. And on the next day, I'm pretty much going to be ready to solicit to agents. I am terrified. But if you're not nervous, then you don't care. And part of me is even concerned about sharing this. Like, I'm not the kind of person that likes sharing this because if I fail, that's always the way I think. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a human being motivated by failure. You know, I work hard because I don't like failing. And uh, in this case, too, like, I, I'm not the type of person that shares this kind of stuff. But, you know, hey, you only get one go around, so I'm going to put it out there to everybody here on the podcast and I'm going to go for this and hey the worst case scenario here it's funny because Rachel was just she was just telling me you know when we were having dinner she was talking about and she's like you're going to get stressed out every time you get a rejection aren't you like I don't want you to get stressed out every time you get a rejection and I said no because if if I go through my entire list of agents and it's all rejections then I am going to release this myself I have a few extra things that I am going to do if And only if I publish it myself. And those things are going to make the book cooler. And then I'm probably going to kickstart it. I'll have it at my table. I'll do it. And more importantly, I will just get back to work on the second novel. Because if I solicit it to that many agents and nobody wants it, then then I I, I just self-release it and hopefully somebody likes it, you know? Um, But I can't be afraid of that either. Like, I can't, you can't be afraid to fail. And you can't be afraid to get this public referendum on what you're doing. So, hey, I've worked almost five years on it. I don't know what another half year would do for this book. Like, the book is pretty much the final form. And uh, I've been told by a whole bunch of people who know stuff that it's ready. So we're going to get going. I Again, I'm nervous, but I'm also ready. So, uh, And I'm going to bring that bottle of scotch up with me. And I'm going to post on Facebook whenever I'm done. I'm going to post the goddamn bottle of scotch and it's going to say my novel is done. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's great. It's it's great to know you that you have a day in mind where this thing is going to be done and and doing that writer's retreat, that one day writer's retreat. That sounds awesome, man. That's excellent. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. And I think a lot of the creators out there or the people that are in the process of becoming a creator and wanting to start their book or just are starting your book and you're... I don't know, there's a little bit of a failure to launch there. Like something you can take away from this podcast is me and Keith are both workhorses. We have deadlines that we set for ourselves. There's no one else telling us to do these things but ourselves. Keith is motivated by his own deadlines. Okay, well, by December 1st, I have to have this done myself. I'm the same way. No one's telling me to do Drawtober but me. It helps me. It helps motivate me. It helps me put more product out there per year. So however you have to do it, however you have to find your way to motivate yourself, make sure you're doing it. Don't just go, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just get it done later. I mean, once in a while, that can be fine. There's nothing wrong with giving yourself a break. If you're working yourself hard, absolutely give yourself a break. But but don't do it to the point where you're not getting anything done. You know, like, like you're your own boss. Are you, 
are you a lazy boss? Are you trying to make this successful? So in order to do that, you have to set these deadlines and you have to be serious about them. You know, try to get these things done sooner than what you set out to do. Yeah. You know, if, if, if Keith gets stuff done before December, he'll be psyched because that means he gets to work on the next project instead of waiting all the way till December to get this shit done. So the, the sooner you get things done, the better. Make sure you're setting deadlines for yourself. Look, if you're a couple of days late, don't beat yourself up too much. You did it. You know, you got there. And and trust me when I say that you're doing something that a lot more people aren't doing. There's so many people out there that are just making excuses for themselves and not getting their books done. No one else is going to force you to do this but yourself. So make sure you're doing that. Yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to. So that's a, a perfect point. But a point that I wanted to just reiterate a little bit or at least call out is that we talk about first appearances of comics and how the first appearance is going to be is always the first appearance, right? This is always going to be the time in my life when I finished my first novel. And I want to remember that. I want to make a ceremony out of it because sometimes that's a way, like I probably would have achieved this goal one way or another, but how cool is it that I'm building a ceremony out of this thing? I'm going to one of my favorite places for writing and hey, I actually, I did not, I did not pay for the cheapest room there. I had an option. I'm, I'm booking the room and it says, would you like to upgrade to like the spa suite where it comes with like a glass shower and a, a, a hot tub and, and, and it's higher up and gets a better view of Lake Arrowhead. And I'm like, yes, I would. Yes, I <laughs> right would. Right on, man. Yes, yeah. I would. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. This is, again, I'm only going to, I'm only going to finish my first novel one time. And this first novel is either going to be part one of a grand success story or it's going to be a backstory to a success story. But either way, it's it's something that matters. And so that's something I say, don't be afraid to do either. Like bust bust open the celebration thing when you finish something, not when you sell your millionth copy. You know, don't don't wait for external validation to celebrate things. You celebrate yourself. You celebrate your own achievement. And then when the external validation comes, then it comes but we create and you should celebrate the act of creation. Absolutely. Just all the work that you put into creating these comic books, these novels, whatever you're doing, you know, if you're doing a, a zines, what, whatever the process is, whatever the project you're doing, it's taking a lot of effort and a lot of time. And it's usually at the cost of yourself. You're not paying yourself necessarily to do these things. A lot of times you're getting paid on the back end. If you do a Kickstarter or you're just like, hey, I'm funding everything, I'm printing everything, and what I sell at shows is what I'm making, you know? And and good on you, like, do it however you do it, whatever your business model is, you're the one putting in the work. So as Keith said, celebrate those things, you know? Mm -hmm. Every time you finish an issue, every time you finish a book, anytime you finish anything, there should be some celebration there. Yeah, man. Do you have anything else, or is it main time? Um, I do. I The last thing I got, I, commission work has been started. So I knocked out a couple of wrestling figures, uh, figure designs turnarounds for my client and so those are going pretty well I'm moving pretty quickly on them and so for me like there's a baseline price on what I get paid for these things and the longer I go the more I get paid for them but for me if I can knock them out under what it would normally take me to do them you know whatever that baseline price is just imagine whatever the price is if I finish before that I still get that baseline so for me because I have an hourly rate in which I work 
And so the baseline is X amount of hours. And so if I finish before that, it's it's beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud to say that I knocked out two designs faster than I, I normally would to get that price. So I'm pretty happy about that. Things are moving along. And uh, the more of these things I can do, the better because it's more things off of my plate. And like I said, October is here. It is upon us. And it is going to take up a large majority of my time. So the faster I get these things done, the better. Um, Just get everything off my plate that I can. And um, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I will save that for bringing the bullshit. So yeah, let's let's, uh, go ahead and move on from our opening segment here. Let's get to it. So our topic... For this lovely episode, this 99th episode of The Making Comics, is backgrounds. And I don't know how much there is to say about backgrounds, but let's just get it going. And then both Scott and I have some examples, and maybe we'll see how that illustrates it. Um, what, what, anything you want to say to the, to the party people about backgrounds before we start calling out some examples? Absolutely. So, for backgrounds... Um, if you guys are beginners or you just don't know, it doesn't really matter, honestly. But... Uh, When you're doing your backgrounds, you absolutely need an establishing shot. So whenever you're changing scenery, whenever you're changing locations, make sure you're putting that establishing establishing shot on your very first very first panel. Um, You know, is it a sweeping landscape? Is it an interior of an apartment? Is it an interior of a grocery store? Whatever the case is, are you at the zoo? People need to see where you're at in order to get a reference of where your characters are in the world. So make sure you're doing that. It it doesn't have to be always a giant panel. It can be a very small panel in the top left corner. So as long as you're establishing where the characters are, you can move the story along. Um, You don't necessarily need to have backgrounds in every single panel in order to convey that. And that's what that establishing shot is for. It really lets people know where your characters are when you're starting off. So if you're doing a broad shot, like let's say, I don't know, let's say it is an apartment. You know, I'll use second shift as an example. When my characters are in their apartment building, it's like a sitcom almost where you get, it's like friends where, oh, they're back at the apartment. So you get that exterior of their apartment building and then the next pan or next scene. And in this case, next panel you cut to the interior of the apartment. So that's the method that I use when I'm working on my books. And so it's like, okay, well, the characters are in their apartment, so let's get this overall shot of this of their apartment building, and then boom, we're into it. We're inside, the, inside of that apartment, and the characters are doing what they're doing. They're having the conversations that they have. So you do also, like in this instance, from this particular example, you do want a shot of the apartment. You want to show them in the whatever part of the apartment that they're in are they in the living room the kitchen one of their bedrooms you do want to get a pretty good shot of that as well um you know maybe not as broad of a shot as that opening panel maybe a medium shot where you get a good grasp of how that apartment is laid out so make sure you're doing those things so your readers and your viewers they are not confused as to what's going on and it's just a great way to establish a new scene um and uh it moves the story along nice yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting. We I don't think we quite called it backgrounds, but we did touch on backgrounds because I remember an episode a while back where I randomly pulled some comics 
And I talked about how some comics, I remember pulling an issue of Daredevil Man Without Fear and how in, there was there were some pages where John Romita Jr. really went ham on backgrounds and some where he just colored something and put some lines there. And that happened, I think, on maybe we only find them when they're dead, too. You know, these are very nicely drawn comics, but that doesn't mean you have to go ham with detail all the time. So backgrounds are a balance. The examples we're about to give tend to be on more of the maximal side of the backgrounds as opposed to the minimal side. But the point isn't to tell everybody, do these amazing detailed backgrounds or else. It's here are people that do backgrounds incredibly well and see what you can learn from them and see if there's a way that you can spice up your own backgrounds where you need to with something that you see when you explore these artists or any other artists that you want to check out on your own. Yeah, you don't want to overload the backgrounds either because it can be a bit distracting. You know, you do want to give the audience an idea of where the characters are moving through the scene. So there'll be some stuff here and there that will be pretty detailed. But then in other other panels, it might not be necessary. If a character is just talking, it's like a relative close-up, a mid-shot or something like that. It's not necessary to fill that background up with, uh, you know, everything because it can be distracting to the reader. It'll it'll just be a little too busy at times and you know, it, it's a little bit more harder to process. Especially it's all dependent on what's going on in that story as well. If it's talking heads, then you don't necessarily need everything like that in every single panel. And uh that's what that establishing shot is for. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, let's uh let's do two artists each. We did we did share with each other that we were going to do two artists, so uh, you get to go first. So, what is the first artist you would like to talk about in terms of backgrounds? So, um, we learned from we learned our lesson from the other of the other time where we we're picking artists, and we we thought we might have the same ones. We have been sharing who we're going to pick, and it makes things a lot easier. It's kind of like a, a fantasy draft because Keith will go, "Okay, well, hey, I'm going to get this guy for the first one." I was like, "Okay, well, my first guy is this one." So, you know, it, it works out really well in that sense, and. Uh, my first one is Sean Gordon Murphy. So I mentioned him actually last week when I was talking about Daniel Warren Johnson. What Sean Gordon Murphy is really do, uh, good at doing is those established shots. Uh, he has amazing backgrounds. And honestly, the information that I gave you guys regarding backgrounds is information I learned from him. Um, he used to he used to talk a lot about the process. Like it was either on Twitter or DeviantArt or something like that. I believe it was Twitter. And... Um, you know, those those things are really important. Those were great lessons that he was putting out there. And uh, he had mentioned part of his process is doing that giant establishing shot that is highly detailed. He renders the hell out of his backgrounds. There's so much knickknacks, so many things going on. And I think, honestly, that's one of the things that brought him to popularity like just the amount of detail he would put in those backgrounds were just breathtaking so doing so having those giant panels where you're just putting so much detail in it really allows you to lax a little bit when it comes to those smaller panels those next panels afterwards because you've established where these characters are and you've also established like hey, I can do it. I'm not afraid of backgrounds. You've seen what I can do. Well, guess what? I don't need to do that with every single one, and here's why. So all that information that I gave you regarding as to why you're going to want to minimize those those following panels with backgrounds is information I got from him. And so I, you know, 
pick up every, any single one of the books he's ever done. And you're going to see these lush, filled backgrounds with uh, characters, vehicles, buildings, and um, they're just beautiful. They're just it's beautiful work. Uh, if you like a lot of like blacks and um, like uh, shaded areas and stuff like that, kind of like if you're into Daniel Warren Johnson, I guarantee you're going to love Sean Gordon Murphy. His his styles. It's kind of crazy because looking at his stuff, you I don't know that I would have ever described it as cleaner than any other artist, but he's a little bit cleaner than Daniel Warren Johnson. So when you check that out, like as much black as Daniel Warren Johnson throws down on the page, Sean, Sean Gordon Murphy does the exact same. And, um, yeah, man, his, his backgrounds are killer and, uh, check those out, pick up any one of his books and I guarantee you will be very impressed. Very cool. What's, what I think is interesting about the artists that we've chosen is they, I think they all approach backgrounds in a slightly different way. So I'm hoping that the thing I say is just not flat out stupid, but I, I get the feeling that I'm right and hopefully Scott backs me up. So the first artist that I'm going to bring up is sort of the unofficial king of detail, uh, Jeff Darrow. Jeff Darrow is known for his high degree of detail in his panels. Now, if you do pick up any Jeff Darrow book and you will see that, much like Sean Gordon Murphy, much like anybody. It's not every single damn panel that's detailed. But his attention to detail is higher than many other artists. And, you know, he's one of those people that you can tell just loves drawing backgrounds because his backgrounds have this high level of detail. I sent Scott a couple pictures, and um, I will post them on this episode one way or another. But there's this cover of Transmetropolitan he did. And he has the lead character kind of sitting there uh, on a rooftop or something like that, kind of on a hedge of a building. And if you look at the level of detail he has there, you know, there's like an apartment window above him and to the right. And there's like a person in there and all this stuff. Like he could have just drawn a window reflecting light, but no, he's going further than that. He could have stopped at a bunch of places on that panel, but he kept going. And uh, and he does that a lot. You know, a book I love by him uh, and Frank Miller is Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot which has, again, on the pages that are detailed, it is quite detailed. Now, I also think, again, this is the part where I'm going to sound stupid, that Jeff Darrow doesn't use shading as much on his stuff when he inks it. So it all feels very fully inked without as much toning. And as a result, it just creates this like frenzied look to a lot of his stuff, even with color, because it almost looks like the same line weight all through the page. And so I don't know how right I am, but that's the feeling I get where there's just not a lot of variety within that. And as a result, like it's not just that it's detailed, it's that all the detail is kind of big at once. You know, it's like it's like the Lemmy line about Motorhead, everything louder than everything else. And that's the line that I (laughs) that's what I feel when I'm watching Jeff Darrow. That's great. That's a great line. Yeah, um, it's honestly Jeff Darrow's style. It's like. It's like he's a maniac. Like what what's the <laughs> I'm trying to think of the term of that like where you're just ob- obsessed with drawing. Fastidious? Is that the word? I don't know. But I don't know, that's a great one. But you know, he he has this thing when you look at his work and you're like you're like he he's obsessed with putting lines down on paper. There's just something about it that it's like he can't stop mm-hmm. because the amount of detail. So he said, when you look at his work, yeah, it's not every panel, but it's sure a lot. It's 
it's I'm gonna it's gonna be you're gonna be hard pressed to find panels where he doesn't have a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. There there are some. You are definitely right on that. But he is obsessed with lines. Yeah, and to the best po- in the best possible way. This is not a negative when I'm saying this. And um, I think the word I'm trying to find it's just like compulsive. Is <laughs> it, it compulsive? was like compulsive. It's it like it's like compulsive. It's like um, it's like m- being a maniac. But if you can pluralize that or or something along the lines, like, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's somewhere there. Fun anyway. fact, though. Hey, since we're here, fastidious, possessing or displaying meticulous attention to detail. So, hey, I did get the word right, but it yes. wasn't quite what the word the word you example. Jeff Darrow says it right under there. <laughs> Check Jeff out the next Darrow. line. Yeah, exactly. Exa- Webster, exactly. Which, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. So um, he's amazing. He's just he's one of those artists that just takes it to another level. So definitely check out his work, his stuff right now. Shaolin Cowboy. Uh, This recent miniseries is fantastic. It's like. I don't know, man. It's like a goof. The 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 story itself is just it seems like he got really fucked up. Like it's like he did some drugs Mm -hmm. and just like I'm going to do this story. Yeah, and it's so amazing. Like, have you read it? Do you have you been picking that up? No, not yet, but I need to. Oh my gosh, it's so bonkers, and I'm excited for every single issue that comes out. It is the top of my pull list. So, nice. if you guys aren't picking up Shaolin Cowboy, pick it up right now. It it is it is coming out. I think they're on issue five or six. So, hopefully, you got a good comic store that has some back issues where you can get those or check them out on eBay. I don't think they'll be too much, but you know, more than likely cover price or maybe a quarter or two over. But it, it's a great series. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Um, so my. So my second artist, I'm actually going to change it up on you. I was sitting there and I was thinking, and I, and my original artist I'm not going to do was Alex Ross. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why I was picking Alex Ross was I am currently in a location where I do not have my comic collection nearby. So I could not do any research as far as going, like, the way we research this is one of two ways. One we're just so familiar with this creator that that's the creator that we're going to talk about. Or two, we're mining our comic collection in order to find these artists in order to talk about them. We actually get to flip through our books and check them out and give you real life examples in real time. Hey, I'm reading this issue of whatever and I'm on page two and check this shit out. This is crazy. So I was going to do that. I was going to do Alex Ross and then I realized, hey, I don't have any of my books near me. And so I can't really look up examples of this. And honestly, I don't know if he's a good example of this. I'd imagine he is. His style is so much grounded in reality that I couldn't even imagine him just fudging or strictly bypassing establishing shots. But I can't say that for sure. So the artist that I'm going to pick is Mike Mignola. Mm. Mike Mignola, the reason why I'm picking Mike Mignola is because he is so different from any of the artists that we both picked. Now, the thing that I really love about Mike Mignola, and this is an instance of where I can talk about his work because I just have it ingrained into my mind. Now, the way he does his establishing shots, it's not exactly, you know, if if you did vanishing points and everything with his backgrounds, it might not line up. But that's not how Mike Mignola works. If you've seen his stuff, it's just so organic. All of his lines are organic, whatever he's doing. He has Mignola tech, the way he draws 
uh, machines, buildings, is just simply different from any other artist that you're going to really find unless they're aping Mike Mignola. So if you're into, you know, characters like Hellboy, if you've never read a Hellboy book and you've just seen the movies, um, there's something there. There's a middle ground, but, you know, like it's very old world and, you know, like if you think of Mike Mignola tech, or you don't know what that means, think of the old scuba diving outfits that had those giant helmets, and they almost look like astronaut suits, but they're just underwater astronaut mm-hmm. suits. That's how Mike Mignola lays out all of his tech. Yeah. It's just this kind of old world rustic look to it, and it is simply beautiful. And you get a vibe, you get the atmosphere from how he lays things out way differently than any other artist I've ever seen. So um, definitely definitely worth checking out. Again, you can pick up any Mike Mignola book and you're going to get the exact thing that I'm talking about. Yeah. Hey, you don't have Alex Ross, but I do. So I, oh, hey, I, was, you. I was able to validate it. Yeah, I mean, and I'll, I'll use this Alex Ross point to segue into my final person too. Which is, you know, you look at Alex Ross, like there's an amazing background here in Marvel's 4. Um, I don't know if you can see it. Hold on. I can hold it up to you. It's right here where like all the people in the street are on fire and stuff. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. And and what's cool is because he's a painter, it's like going to an art museum in a way. You know, art museums and, and wonderful paintings that have high levels of detail are interesting because you can stand 40 feet away from them and they look like the most detailed thing in the world. And then you stand two feet away from them and you see the paint, you see the splotches and you're like, how, how does a person stand at a huge canvas this close to it and know that it's going to look razor sharp at 40 goddamn feet away? It's, it's unbelievable when you do that, whenever you go to art museums and Alex Ross gives me that vibe on his panels. And I think on a similar note, I was trying to do this earlier. So my final artist is Bernie Wrightson. Um, by the way, oh, boy, amazing. Boy, did I, Bravo. boy, did I go. Hold on. Get, let's give this a second. Fucking Bernie. Yes, man. Fucking Bernie Wrightson. One of the masters. When you told me who, when you told me your first one, I was like, fuck, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Hmm. I was like, man, I should have thought of that one. I've been reading Shaolin Cowboy. Yeah. Like forever. And then you told me your second one. And I was like, God damn it. If that's not better than your first one. <laughs> God damn you, Keith, making good choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, Bernie Wrightson is amazing. You know, like there are days when he's my favorite artist and not Kirby. Um, he's unbelievable. And I happen to be holding his uh, incredible. This is actually a, a kind of vintage. I would say it's collectible, but it's pretty beat to shit. This is his illustrated Frankenstein where he did a whole bunch of plate art for it. So, you know, just just big one-page stills that are spread out through the Frankenstein novel by Mary Shelley. And what's amazing, among a billion things about Bernie Wrightson, is, you know, look, his stuff isn't pencils, it's inks. You know, and he's he's doing different stroke uh, widths when it comes to inks. But what's fascinating about him is he has that same effect that great painters have. If you hold it, at as far away from your face as you can, it looks so incredibly detailed and rendered it blows your mind. But when you put it right next to your face and you see all the lines, it, it looks less that way. It's just very cool the way that works because of his organic style and because of the way he knows how to use lines and line widths and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, Bernie writes and same thing. I mean, I'm just I'm looking at this cover 
which is a very famous it's like a it's it's the one I sent to you Scott it's a very famous like double page spread of the wretch holding Dr. Frankenstein by his lapel and kind of like shaking him and threatening him and you just look at all the lab equipment he has in here the corpse on the table you know the the test tubes and flasks in the back wind you know in the back shelf you know the 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 handcuff dangling i mean again he he just spares no moment where he can throw some detail at you and it's the kind of art that you can either enjoy in the course of a few seconds or you can spend a good solid couple minutes just obsessing over every single thing that he chose to include here and that i'm not going to say that happens all the time but it happens and bernie wrightson is amazing at it i uh, i love bernie wrightson and to the point where the the cover to second shift 10 which is the part two of the taxidermist is is an ode to bernie wrightson the amount of lines that i threw on that cover was because i was actually researching the uh of bernie wrightson while i was drawing that because of all of that work in those those images that you sent me oh i love those images because those are it's frankenstein so he's in a lab mm-hmm. there's like beakers skulls with uh, uh with um candles melted mm-hmm. essentially on top of the skull yeah. if you look at the cover to second shift 10 there you're gonna see those very things in there mm-hmm. because i was like man how do i look make this guy look like a mad scientist as much as possible mm-hmm. oh bernie wrightson yeah. so i was looking up bernie wrightson uh to the point where the taxidermist is loosely based off of a young Bernie Wrightson. I was looking up Bernie Wrightson art, and a bunch of images of him started coming up. And I was like, and, and young images. And I was like, oh, fuck. He kind of looks like what I want the taxidermist to look like. Mm-hmm. So I loosely modeled him off of his face. I was just like, hey, why not tribute uh, this character to Bernie as much as I can, just because of how amazing he is. So. Nice. Um, yeah, I love his work. Um, if you guys look up Bernie Wrightson, you're going to get a whole lot of images, especially that Frankenstein's, Frankenstein stuff. And the detail there, it's just like old world art. It, the, yeah. the different types of line weights he has and textures that he puts down on papers on paper, it's just tremendous. You, yeah. you couldn't ask for an artist who could do so many different s- styles of, um, of rendering. Yeah. You know, it's like you can feel the glass, you can feel the wood, you can feel the skull. So mm-hmm. there's just so many things there that he does amazing. And it's just, it's hard to beat. Yeah. It's hard to beat. And another, and another artist with an absolute ton of work. And when it comes to volume, you know, he did so much work on sixties and seventies horror comics. And the problem is a lot of those comics back in the day, like if you pick up an old, I don't know, Tales of the Unexpected or these Haunt of Mystery kind of places, you know, House of Mystery, whatever, um, because there's a bunch of them, I get them all confused. He did a lot of, uh, of art uncredited. You know, it's not like today where you know damn well who the writer, artist, inker, letterer, and everybody is for every single thing. Like they released books way back in the day and it would just be like, they don't even tell you who the fuck the artist is. You know, and then you find out later it's Bernie Wrightson. So, and, and all these people, Kirby, you know, all these guys just did a metric ton of work under, you know, you, you figured it out later or, you know, comic scholars figured it out so you can look it up. But yeah, it's not right there on the comic. So yeah, one, one of the gods, one of the gods for sure. And yeah, uh, absolute great. Yeah. And with that, it's bullshit time. So you have this thing 
I don't really have any bullshit. I don't don't remember buying anything of merit. So let's just get to your thing and uh, and roll on out of here. Okay, so I'll do a couple then. So the first one, before while I remember it, I had mentioned SoCal Comics owed me some credit because of the mishaps with the George Perez signing and everything, and mm-hmm. not getting the George Starlin or the Jim Starlin or the uh, Wolf Wolf signatures. So I got the credit, and man, they did me a solid. And so the full refund was amazing. I really appreciate that. That shows why they're a great comic shop. Mistakes happen. They happen all the time. My second bullshit thing is, did you ever pick up your banner? No. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, if you guys haven't listened, Keith left his pop-up banner that he was supposed to bring to Seattle at the airport, Ontario Airport. And I was curious if you had ever picked that up. No. Charge it to the game. It's long gone. You think so? You're just you're just like fuck it. I'm not. I, I it like I I waited three weeks to do it. Now I almost feel like an idiot calling the police station at Ontario Airport. You know what I mean? Like, I suppose I will. I don't know. I sort I think of don't it's care. just in their back room, man. I I don't think they give a fuck how long yeah, it's been. I, I think I don't if know. you just I'll, I'll say, hey, them. a few weeks ago, uh, you know, this happened or whatever, it's probably there. I got you. I got you. I'll I'll be slightly bullshit free. And with that, let's uh, let's roll on out of here. So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is me doing stuff, taking photos, of course, sharing art from my books. And at Kadoja Kaiju, which I post far less frequently on, but it is all giant monsters all the time. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-E-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. I have a website. It is KeithRFoster.com. You can look at pages there that have, I have a page on Three Protectors, a page on Kadoja, and of course I have a web store where you can check out both of those items and grab anything you may not have. So Kadoja is HP Lovecraft meets Godzilla, basically meets giant monsters and three protectors is Kung Fu in space. And you can find my book, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, at AccidentalAliens.com. I even have some other books there. The Accidental Alien Anthologies, 2018 and 19, are still available. They are in limited quantities, so make sure you pick those two books up, as well as, ta- as, well as Tales from the Mothership. That is another anthology series we do, um, and that is also in limited qualities. These are quantities. These books will not be reprinted so if they run out they run out and uh make sure you're getting them there's some first appearances in those in the then their heels so make sure you get those books and uh yeah man get them before they're gone yeah well of course speaking of something else you can do you can get scott's books for what they're gone or you can if you love the podcast and why wouldn't you you're more than an hour in you can go over to spotify and you can go over to apple podcasts Give us five stars. Throw some words if you can. Um, It does help, and it helps spread the word on this podcast, which uh, makes everybody happier. So, yeah, all it's going to cost is a little bit of your time, and it's free, so there's not much downside to it. Do it if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, come on, guys. Get on it. What's your problem? Yeah. Um, I got to say, before I tell you guys about the Making Comics podcast at gmail.com, where you can contact us if there's anything you want us to talk about that we haven't already, something we've talked about briefly and want us to expand on, or something we haven't touched base on at all, you can do that at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. But before I tell you about that, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com, I got to say, this Park Hopper from Smog City Brewing plus Alvarado Street, Hazy IPA, 
didn't taste the hazy. There was really? no hazy. This was an IPA. I okay. didn't care for it. Okay. So I did drink it all. Interesting. So I have a nice little buzz. Yeah. My speech might be a little bit slushy. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm not impressed with the haziness of this IPA. It was yeah. just an IPA. I hear you. I hear you. I, I should also do a little full disclosure that like I'm flagging a little on energy, and that's probably because I was out at the concert last night. I also have a concert tomorrow. So part oh, of it shit. is... Yeah, yeah. I just, isn't this the way concerts work? You don't have a fucking concert for six months, and then you have two within three three nights of each other, two nights of each other. Wow. You know, just bonkers. So, uh, so yeah, I'll have... But, yeah, you know, you get home late and... Late by my standards, for sure, because I'm an old man. And, uh, yeah, so it's like I, I think I'm feeling that a little bit now. And uh, that's also why I didn't go too hard in the paint with the beer. Because, you know, I had a couple beers last night and still just, you know, <laughs> just detoxing a little bit from that. So I'll just have a little 12-ounce beer and, you know, call it a night. Yeah, you didn't go too hard in the paint on the no, not at all. The leaving five-star reviews either. So no, I was like, oh, no, I must well, be tired. If, if, if I... <laughs> Sometimes I just run out of ways to say it. And the thing, too, is if you know it's coming every week, then you know it's coming every week. You know, like I want I want it to be like Christmas, you know, like maybe maybe you get an extra treat at the end of the episode with a crazy story and maybe you don't. Who knows? (laughs) You know, that's true. I like it. Yeah. All right. So, hey, we made it. We got to the end and another week in the books. And what that means is. The next episode, the next week, we are celebrating the big 100 with our boy and yours, friend of the podcast, Gary Hodges. And Gary is going to talk about an undisclosed topic, and we are going... I'm I'm afraid. I'm not kidding. I am actually afraid of drinking 12 ounces of a 17.3 beer. I feel like like we're going to drink motor oil. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited for this. Like, yeah. I'm ex- so, I'm so excited for how stupid next week is going to be. Yeah, it, it, it has. I don't even it, understand. <laughs> we're going to get stupid. So we'll need to do our research so that we can, like, read from scripts so we're just not complete clowns. So, uh, so yeah, here's, here's, here's hoping that we manage to pull that off. So in the meantime, we are going to prepare for the big 100, and we will see you all next week. I'm going to need one of those dentist chairs, like those things that suck the spit out of your mouth, because I'm going to be so (laughs) sloshy. We'll see you next week. Yay, yay. (laughs) Most best of the cops.